The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org. I'm Carly Meisberger. Today, we're talking with Cameron Witten, the founder and executive director of Brown Hope. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I am joined by Cameron Witten, who is uh, newly minted as the executive director for Brown Hope, but has been uh, running the organization for about two years. Is that correct? That is correct. Hey, Phil. Thanks for having me. Hi. Hi. Hey, so there's a lot to talk about, Cameron, and, and we got to stuff this all in, in our 30-minute slot here. So I want to start out with the, with the mission. So uh, the mission of Brown Hope is to lead community-grounded initiatives to make justice a lived experience for Black, Brown, and Indigenous people here in Oregon. Uh, we do that through uh, building community. We do that through education. We do that through inspiring culture. Uh, Our initial program, our inaugural program, happened in 2018. Uh, Many of y'all might have heard of it. It was called the Reparations Happy Hour. Um, It was an incy-bincy little baby event, but it happened to make a big splash in the international media. Um, We continue to do that work. In addition to bringing on other empowerment programs, we have a jobs training and economic development program called Black Street Bakery, which honors North and Northeast Portland as the historic home of Black Portland and provides economic opportunities to Black folks in plant-based baking. And uh, most recently, uh, two years later, we have uh, formed a third program that y'all have probably heard way too much about, which is the Black Resilience Fund. So you know, we got a lot to talk about there. Let's, let's start yeah. out with the reparations. Um, I don't want to just skate by any of these. So the reparations, uh, the idea was that uh, uh, whites, white people could bring $10 as, no. You read the headline, I see. Yeah, the headline uh, was not accurate. So okay. um, it was interesting when the reparations happy hour ended up in the New York Times. Uh, a lot of folks only read the headline mm-hmm. and they had this impression that you would go into a bar and there would be a white person there waiting to hand you money, which okay. isn't what happened. Um, we had a space that was intentionally crafted for black, brown, and indigenous people only. And we uh, knew that Portland is a city that the diversity is not always celebrated. And many times you walk into spaces that are isolating, where you do not feel safe, do you, not, you do not feel supported, you do not feel the community that understands your struggle. And so we created that space. What we identified was that you know, black, brown, and indigenous folks they do a lot of this work daily to find community and build the vision of the organ that we all say we want. That being said, where are our racially privileged people? Where are our white so-called allies showing up in this work? And so uh, we created Reparations Happy Hour as an invitation to white folks saying, if you really believe that these spaces need to exist on a regular basis here in Portland, you have to show up and you show up by staying home 
and giving $10. And we're gonna pass that on to our black, brown and indigenous attendees. And so that's what exactly happened. And, and how, um, on both sides of that equation, how do you feel like it was successful? Uh, and, yeah. and, and, and maybe how do you feel like it didn't hit its mark? It was so successful. Uh, we didn't hit our mark by not being prepared for international attention and media spin. Uh, it was really interesting to see that people to this day have an interpretation of the event that was not what it truly was. And I think that was definitely our biggest challenge. Yeah, well, you're taking some large concepts. I mean, one of your challenges, Cameron, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you have large concepts, but you also understand uh, the outward facing media, mm -hmm. right? So you're having large concepts that need to fit into headlines. Yes. Uh, is that frustrating to you or how do you manage I hate, I hate headlines and I love journalists and I love like, yeah, journal, I buy with journalists. Um, I do not like headlines. I've experienced time and time again that um, it invites folks to see a headline instead of seeing the story. Oftentimes the headline uh, does not do that story justice. I think there might be a, I don't want to overreach here, but there might be a parallel there is uh, people see uh, skin tone and they don't see the person uh, is to see the headline and not seeing the story. I would call that a reach. What's that? I would call that a reach. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to bring race into that conversation. Um, hey, so I, I do want to, I'm scrapping some of the, the my blueprint for our, our discussion here. And I, I want to go into you a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, where are your ideas coming from? I mean, <laughs> where do I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's really funny, Phil, because to, to be 100% transparent, yeah. I don't think my ideas are big. That's the problem. Every time I do something, I, I come at it from a, like, I am this entrepreneur that is in my garage. I'm like a Bill Gates. Like, this idea is not a big deal, but I'm going to work on it. Reparations Happy Hour is a great example. Black Resilience Fund is another great example. These were ideas that I never expected to, for people to want to know about. Like for me, uh, what I believe in is changing the system. I believe in vision. I believe that the system as it exists does not work. And so I have found you know, how to do what I can in this city with the platforms that I have to cause us to all stop for a second, think some provocative thoughts, and really invest in a dramatically new vision. Um, Brown Hope hits that on a lot of different uh, degrees. Uh, our focus is on trauma-informed activism, and it really did start off with just the name. I remember it was 2018, and it was just two days after I had lost what I thought was my dream job. I was at the city of Portland, um, working with immigrants, low-income people, poor people, helping them to write grants to fund community projects. And uh, my boss had decided I was too dark and too honest, and I was terminated. And I had, at that time, been living in Portland for nine years, and I had felt that this state is suffocating. This city is suffocating. I've, there are too many Black, Brown, and Indigenous folks who try to make a footprint here, who try to contribute to their community, and they're constantly slapped down and told, we don't wanna work with you. And so I was really grappling with whether I could stay in Portland. And uh, two days after my termination, I was just getting out of bed 
And do you know how your brain gets when you're just waking up and you don't control that brain? That is an extraterrestrial brain that you, you have no connection. You can't endorse anything that brain says. And the first thing that this alien brain said to me was, don't quote me, <laughs> we need a Red Cross for black people. And I was like, yes, let's do it. And my brain said, we'll call it Black Cross. And I was like, I don't know about that. The anarchists already have a Black Cross. Let's think of something different. Then my brain said, Brown Cross. And I was like, OK, slow down, slow down. Jesus has his cross. Let the Christians do their thing with their cross. We can find our own thing. And I asked myself, what does Portland need? What is that symbol? What is Portland missing right now? And the answer was hope. And that's how it happened, brown hope. And when I said those two words together, I just felt this wave of euphoria, of assurance coursing through my body. And I said to myself, I want every person to have that feeling in Portland. And that was the idea that launched Brown Hope. We wanted to make spaces where we could bring healing, where we could bring a sense of community, a spirit of who we are as a human people. Let's talk some administrative stuff here now. So even though you started this organization, you weren't the executive director until recently. No, I was. I just wasn't getting paid. It was a labor of love. So um, it's a privilege to know what literally was my dream job. The job that came to me in my dreams gets to be the job I get to do full time. Um, What I was already doing, but now doing it without worrying whether I can put food on my plate. And, and this is maybe not, I mean, this is, I think, important stuff, but maybe a little bit more uh, wonky. Um, are you, you're finding uh, there's financial support now that maybe wasn't there a year ago? There's, there's grants that are interested. How, how is that playing so out? So what was interesting about my story, because as you might know, Phil, nothing in my life is linear. Uh, I've developed my resilience because life has tried to throw every obstacle at me. And so back in March, uh, I got keys to my house, I started a mortgage, and it was the same day that I quit my job to focus on uh, my campaign for Metro Council. That happened to me March 1st. And so uh, less than two weeks later, uh, the entire state and society shut down. And I didn't really know what this was gonna mean for my future. There was a lot of uncertainty. And so we kept going with the campaign and uh, I ended up uh, interviewing for a position at a foundation. And uh, I didn't get the job, but uh, after we had started the Black Resilience Fund, um, you know, I was talking to one of our fundraising gurus in town, my personal guru, Sam Swain from Swain Strategies. And I was lamenting to her, because at that time, we were about $350,000. I don't count in days anymore, I count in dollars. And um, I was lamenting that, you know, we need to increase our fundraising goal. Um, If I increase it to half a million, we'll get there like in in days, but I don't think we're actually gonna get to a million. The excitement's gonna die down. And Sam said, you need to raise it to a million and you're pretty much already there. I didn't believe her. That's the thing, I didn't believe her, but I respected her. And I knew that she was the expert. And so we increased it to a million. And so I started, I just said, well, there's no possible way, Cameron, there's no way you're going to raise a million dollars off of individual donations alone. So that's when I said, I need to find some foundations who are willing to help us get to this million dollar goal. So I went back to that place where I was not hired and they ended up saying, well, we really believe in your work and we really want to see Brown Hope have 
a lasting impact in this community. And so they helped us open up the door to hire me on as CEO. And since then, we've been working with other foundations, writing other grants, and uh, yeah, trying to build the team that we need to show folks that there is a true theory of change here, and we need the resources to bring that into reality. I want to keep talking about the organization, but I, I, I do want to keep, I also want to, um, yeah, I find you endlessly interesting, Cameron. <laughs> um, and that makes fun of us. <laughs> but part, part of that is because, you know, because you, like you said, you are driven by hope and you are driven by resilience and you do keep changing. And, you know, you arrived nine, 10 years ago in Portland. 11. Um, how, how much... Uh, does it matter what your quote unquote, your origin story was? Um, I mean, you, you understand this with working with the media and working with foundations is that you create a narrative. Yes. And organizations and people need that and politicians need that. Yes. Um, do, are you separate from your origin story at this point or does you? No, I, I, I would say that my origin story is what I lead with. I talk a lot about, having survived child abuse. I talk a lot about surviving youth homelessness. I talk a lot about racism and queer phobia. Um, my entire life has been full of obstacles. And I constantly remind folks that resilience is a superpower and how um, I've had the privilege to take every single one of those obstacles and to use that as a platform, as a launch pad to do more. And that's the reason why I do my work is because we all, no matter how successful we are, no matter how challenging our daily struggles are, we all benefit from a reminder that even during some of our most difficult times, we can show our best selves and that resilience can take us a far distance. Hey, let's take a music break. That's a nice place to take a break. Why don't you, you brought in a number of songs, but how about pick out one of them and- Let's do Rise Up. You're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. And you can't find a fighter, but I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out. Move mountains, we gon' walk it out and move mountains. And I'll rise up, I'll rise like the day, I'll rise up, I'll rise unafraid, I'll rise up, and I'll do it a thousand eight times again. And I'll rise up, I like the waves, I'll rise up, in spite of the ache, I'll rise up, and I'll Silence is quiet, and it feels like it's getting hard to breathe. And I know you feel like dying, but I promise we'll take the world to its feet. Move 
the nonprofit happy hour on x-ray fm it's phil bussy i'm joined with cameron witten who is the is it ceo or executive director you know i am whatever you say i am but uh <laughs> officially my title is founder and ceo you can call me whatever you want <laughs> of, of the organization brown hope um let's talk some about the programming uh you mentioned job training and so uh pop-up bakeries in north and northeast pa portland is that right yeah, we've, we've popped up all over town, but our heart is North and Northeast. And our vision is to uh, really reject the idea that gentrification has excluded us from North and Northeast Portland, that we can reverse the impacts of displacement and we can reclaim space. And so ultimately, uh, Blackstreet Bakery will achieve its success as after we've reclaimed physical retail space. That is a space for us to sell our products, to continue our job programs, and to provide space for uh, education, convening, empowering the Black community. One of the challenges that happened when Black Street Bakery started was um, there was a lot of excitement from the community, and we're really grateful for that. But um, we started as a, as a pop-up because we do not have funding. And so uh, we just constantly remind folks that uh, if you want to see this grow, you have to fund it. Um, in two years, we have not gotten funding to expand Black Street Bakery beyond a pop-up. And uh, you can't really do much collaboration when you are barely able to do two events a week. 
Um, we are grateful for the co-ops. They were really the backbone that got us through these past two years. So huge shout out to People's Co-op and to Alberta Street Co-op. They've been amazing partners. And once COVID is over, you can expect us to be back there at both of those co-ops. And uh, yes, uh, we are now in a place where we are uh, hiring a full-time program coordinator for Black Street Bakery. And our hope is that we can start doing wholesale. We can start getting into cafes and grocery stores uh, because uh, our, not only is the mission good, but we have some of the best baked vegan products in the entire town. Uh, and then, and then the other, the other um, program that obviously is uh, a, a, a flagship, the Black Resilience Fund. Never uh, heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> now that's, I mean, obviously that's newer, but I, like, holy, you know, holy, holy, um, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Um, it's interesting because I feel like we keep getting these interviews in the newspapers and about like how much we've raised and within a week it's completely outdated and it is surreal for me to think that something because you know you you've been in nonprofits i've been in nonprofits at some point the excitement is going to die down the support's going to die down it hasn't happened yet and this is what's made it really ch challenging for me as someone who's a development professional like how do you plan for like we just made our new goal um, we hit our 1.5 million goal. Um, it took us about six weeks to do. So we made our uh, next goal uh, to be 1.8. And then we're almost at 1.6. We're going to pass 1.6 by the end of this weekend. Um, we'll probably be at 1.7 in a week from now. And it's just like, it's, it's been surreal to think, how do you set goals? How do you really deliver your promise for how to spend these funds when you don't really know when they're going to get in there? And so uh, the Black Resilience Fund truly is a dynamic experience. It's been an educational experience. And for us, uh, we want just to continue to inspire folks to show up for our neighbors. Um, fortunately, uh, our local government is starting to have application processes for COVID relief grants. But right now, uh, the Black Resilience Fund is pretty much all that people are holding on to. And so we want to continue to serve as a lifeline until other larger portions of relief are available. Yeah, so, so talk about, so you've talked about the money coming in now, the money going out, who is it going to, uh, how is that determined? Um, how, what's, the, what's the process there? Yeah, so uh, the Black Resilience Fund has been uh, truly a garden. It started off as one thing, it's become another. And so originally, uh, it started as a Facebook post. It wasn't even the Black Resilience Fund. It was just Cameron Witten wants to raise money for his Black friends. And uh, my hope was to have raised $5,000 in two days time. And we passed that within hours. And so uh, quickly on, uh, I knew that I needed help. And uh, it was such a blessing and a miracle that our co-founder, Salome Chamuku, was there at the right time and was willing to step up and to help us build the internal infrastructure we needed to build a transparent, accountable, and effective movement. And so we decided that the best way for us to get these funds out uh, immediately was to reduce the barriers. This wasn't important just in terms of the urgency of the funds, but our theory of community change is that uh, we know the wealth disparity in our country is staggering. We do not need to see receipts of that. And so for us, we needed 
for two questions to be confirmed. Do you identify as Black, African-American, or of African descent? And then do you live in the four county regions, Washington, Multnomah, Clackamas, and Clark County? If folks fit that criteria, uh, they would be funded. And we decided to, you know, not only to ensure accountability, but to continue to achieve our real goal, which is fostering healing and resilience for everyone, was to do these Zoom interviews so that Black Portlanders can meet other Black Portlanders. So during a time of intense isolation, during a time of vicarious trauma that has resulted from uh, headline after headline of Black pain, that we are actually building community in such uncertain and unlikely ways. And so uh, that is our model. And in the past uh, three months, we have already successfully uh, awarded a million dollars out of what we've already raised so far. And this is being done 100% by volunteers, even though I was already hired uh, by Brown Hope. Uh, I haven't gotten my first paycheck yet. And so we are still uh, running with 100% volunteer energy. It's so interesting too. So you, you talked earlier in the interview about, you know, your, your uh, job at the city you were, was terminated. Uh, mm -hmm. You ran for political office. Lost. Uh, <laughs> well, you've run a couple times. Um, but you had a very successful campaign this, this last go around. Um, again, I, I, I think that you, city council or, or is, is, a, is more of an appropriate role perhaps than, than what you're going for, but. Uh, ah, can't, can't, oh, oh yeah, okay, yeah. You, just, you just hit a trigger word. So okay. I, I find myself to be extremely insulted uh, by all the editorial boards who said, well, we don't want to endorse Cameron because we don't think he's a good fit. I think that was uh, very racist. I think it was very short-sighted. Uh, Metro is a regional government that has not served black, brown, indigenous communities. And just because I have a passion for social justice does not mean that I cannot do the job that Metro does. And so you just hit a trigger there uh, because I do believe that for North and Northeast Portland, the historic heart of Portland's black community, that there should have been black representation. We had two extremely qualified black candidates run. And instead of that, we are still getting the same old, same old. And so while I would respectfully say, sure, um, I see myself having an impact in Portland's politics, uh, I do believe that Metro needed leadership that represented voices that are currently not represented at the table. Fair, fair enough. That, 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 this may be coming more from my prejudice against Metro and, and, and feeling like I have, I have a bias that I feel like city council is, is, is active in a, uh, a higher profile place. But um, I, I absolutely hear what Metro's you Metro's profile is increasing day after day, um, yes. as you know. And that's the reason why we need more representation, because it's becoming more exciting. And I wanted to help steward that so it's relevant to the field buses of the world and many others. <laughs> um, well, I guess my, well, the question that I, that I have, though, is I find it so interesting that you have uh, been drawn or wanted to work within uh, the, the quote unquote, the, the establishment, whether mm -hmm. to, to, to work with them or to, to affect some change or combination thereof. However, you also work really well uh, in tandem or outside of that. So the, the Black Resilience Fund, had that been an idea that you brought to city council or metro or county, it would not have moved as fast as you could make it move. At some point, do you say this is where you should, you belong or are we gonna see you moving back and forth between those two two places you know, over the, the rest of your career, do you think? I'm Hannah Montana, baby. Best of both worlds. 
I personally believe the inside outside strategy is a myth. I think that that is allowing ourselves to deny our own power, our own ability to affect change because you can affect change within the system. You can affect change without the system. So for me, uh, I believe that we are in urgent times and I'm not willing to uh, march behind a theology. I'm here to march behind outcomes and action. Uh, I think I am able to work with all of these different partners because I understand that none of us are an expert and really by us working together, we will be the change that we need to see. Cameron, our, our, our half an hour is up, unfortunately. Um, I am so happy that you are here in Portland. I, I believe I've said that to you before over the years, but like, it is just, it is so nice uh, what you've done. Uh, it's, it's really exciting where Brown Hope is going and congratulations on having it as a, as a funded job. So thanks for everything that you've been doing. Thanks for taking the time to talk today. Thank you, my friend. You are truly a miracle of life. <laughs> You're too kind. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is made possible by Beneficial State Bank, a certified B Corps that holds to what it calls a triple bottom line of social justice, environmental well-being, and economic sustainability. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our executive producer and editor is me, Carly Meisberger. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in.